Welcome to the Anime Research Group. So much anime produced each season, many interesting shows just slip through the cracks and don't get the fair hearing they deserve. I'm Ian. I'm Denny. I'm Freya. And each week we get together to give one show its chance. Watch the first few episodes and discuss what we thought of it. And this week, Parasite Dolls, a 2003 OVA set in the Bubblecom Crisis universe. Yeah, and so before we get back to our regularly scheduled Chucky J. Kanaka hype, uh, because he is involved this week, uh, we probably need to give a content warning. There's cyberpunk <laughs> uh, stuff, uh, by which we, of course, means there is a fair amount of sexual content in this show. Uh, probably give it a miss if you're not au fait with breasts and toe sucking and people being shot in the head. And sexual assault. Yeah, so 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 with that out of the way, uh, Danny, start us off by telling us about the uh, production of the show. The show itself, these three episodes, uh, ran from May 22nd, 2003 until July uh, 24th, 2003, and were made by the Anime International Company. Yeah, they also made Tenchi Muyu, all of its spin-offs, uh, Bubblegum Crisis, in which, as Ian has said, this show is also set in the same universe, Am I Goddess, Humanity Has Declines, and Oremo, or My Little Sister Can't Be This Cute. The show is the last entry in the Bubblegum Crisis universe, uh, as no other shows have been produced so far. It was directed by Kazuto Nakazawa, Naoyuki Yoshinaga, and Yashiro Geshi. Yes, we have uh, three directors here. Yashiro Geshi is only credited as co-directing episode one, so I'll stop. Start with them. They've directed a lot of. They've done a lot of episode directing, but uh, not much uh, chief directing. In fact, I can't find any chief directing. So I'm going to move on from uh, them. Sorry, to uh, Naoyuki Yoshinaga, who has also not. Uh, well, he hasn't done very much recently, for sure. The most notable thing with him is he directed the. Um, Pat Labor, the Mobile Police TV uh, series, which is a uh, retelling of the same story as the original OVAs directed by Memoru Oshii and the two films also directed by Memoru Oshii. Those films are really, well, the second film is really good and I do like the OVAs, so they're quite silly. Um, I haven't watched this uh, retelling. He also directed about 40 episodes of Mason Ikoku, which might actually be more famous than Pat Labor, I don't know. And he directed the film that I've lost. Ah, the Irresponsible Captain Taylor, Tyler, OVA. Yeah. Oh, I've heard of that. Yeah, it's a sequel to the original TV series. Yeah, I'm not sure which uh, episodes, uh, which of these episodes he directed. Maybe he worked on all three, um, because it doesn't say anywhere. And lastly, I'll go for Kazuto Nakazawa, who, unlike um, Yoshinaga, has been making stuff more recently. Uh, in fact, mostly his stuff comes after Parasite Dolls. Uh, Netflix, I'm not sure how well they advertise this, but uh, you two remember Be the Beginning. Yes, I do. Yeah, that was a recent a recent show on Netflix, and it wasn't great from what I heard. Yeah. Also I cyberpunky, I think. Outside of that, uh, he directed a film called Moon Drive, another film called Vassal Lord, uh, well, OVA, sorry, which is a yaoi vampire, uh, cyborg yaoi vampire story, 
<laughs> and he did a lot of work on uh, House of Five Leaves, which I'm sure we'll be watching at some point. He also co-wrote episode three, which probably means he mostly wrote the uh, treatment of episode three that got uh, made into an episode. Uh, because our other writer is Chiaki J. Kanaka. Yay. We already talked <laughs> about him. What feels like ages ago now for us, but it's probably not that long ago in terms of when the episode was uploaded. No, it was only um, eight episodes ago. Yeah, so I guess what I can say, I will say that I don't think I said last time is that he wrote most of uh, Bubblegum Crisis Tokyo 2040, which was a remake of the original uh, OVAs made in the 90s. Hmm. And might have actually been made after the first two episodes of this, which is funny. Yeah, that's a possibility. Um, and I don't know what his involvement in his episode three is. I suspect he like came up with the base idea and then Kazuto Nakazawa turned it into the finished thing and then also directed it. Yeah, that's it. I mean, this is a fairly unknown OVA, I think. I mean, Bubblegum Crisis in general is not as well known as it would have been in the uh, early 2000s. Yeah, I think if you go, like, not my generation of anime viewing, but one before, certainly two before, it mm-hmm. would be pretty well known. Yeah, because in my mind, I always pair it with Dirty Pair, Bubblegum Crisis and Dirty Pair, like those two cop shows from the late 80s, early 90s, set in, like, slightly cyberpunk futuristic Mega mega tokens that I never watched. I have dirty pair on my list. <laughs> literally, literally, mega Tokyo in this case. Yes. yes. So yeah, um, the our sort of main character, I guess, for this episode is uh, a guy called Basil Nickfest, aka Buzz. Buzz works for the AD police in Mega Tokyo, I guess. <laughs> The police in this city are separated into the normal police who deal with humans. And they're literally just called the, in capital letters, normal police. Mm. Uh, yes. Uh, and the, the AD police, which um, investigate the crimes involving boomers. Boomers are the androids in this saying. And yes, in 2020, this makes the whole episode very hilarious. Yes. <laughs> very briefly, Basil McVest is played by Kazuhiko Inoue. Super famous voice actor, probably most famous to people in the West as the voice of Kakashi in Naruto, <laughs> sadly. But, well, and uh, these days probably as Cars from JoJo, but he has a long and storied career. Yeah, because, I mean, he was like the substitute teacher in uh, Children's Chase Lost Voices. He was Dusty Attenborough in Legend of Galactic Heroes. He was Joe Shimamura in Cyborg Heroes. He's Nyanko Sensei in Natsume's Book of yeah. Friends. Uh, he's got, I, I think he's got a, be- a better range than... Um, yes, he, he, for someone with a deep voice, he's not getting typecast as villains all the time like everybody else. <laughs> yeah. So him and their tech guy, Bill Myers, um, uh, played by Toshio Furukawa, a.k.a. Piccolo from Dragon Ball Z. I'll stop there. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, anyway, Buzz goes to uh, a meeting at a strip club. This is the future in a cyberpunk sort of setting. So, of course, it's going down at the strip club and it's filthy and grungy. And I'm pretty sure there's a guy with a gun there. It's a whole mess. He finds a guy murdered, like drowning in his own blood in the toilet alongside a a bag of drugs. And there's a confrontation with a boomer 
He also nearly dies. He gets saved by Kimball. Yes, he gets saved by uh, Rod Kimball. His name was Rod? (laughs) Yes, his name is Rod Kimball. (sighs) I mean, does he really get saved by Rod, or doesn't Buzz just manage to rip out the... I mean, Kimball distracts him, and then uh, uh, Buzz rips the, like, thing out of the... Ah, yes, you're right. That makes it all screamy and die. Kimball, also, like, he's the boomer sidekick because i mean it's i don't want to blame this show for it but like it's a trope right that you have your your human cop and your robot cop or insert insert non-human uh species uh cop sidekick yes i mean i i immediately think my mind goes to david cage who has to get his ideas from somewhere and then pretend they're deep and new and original yeah, I thought you were going to. I thought I thought you were going to go to uh, Futurama with the robot cop, yeah. Uh, yeah. or even something like Bright, which is not uh, robots, yeah. but it's a similar thing. I forgot Bright existed until just until you mentioned it. Just I now. apologize. Uh, Rod Kimball, played by Soma Uchida, who has done basically nothing. <laughs> uh, I mean, he's this. He's Sonnenfels in Legend of Galactic Heroes. He's Bismarck in Code Geass, and uh, that's more or less it. I think he's more, they're more of a stage actor. So our human cop and our robot cop, naturally they're not allowed, their boss tells them, you can't investigate these drugs. <laughs> but they investigate anyway, because of course they do. As any good loose cannon cop would do. Yeah, and these drugs, they're there to prevent boomers from going crazy. Meanwhile, our other main character, Rako Michelson, that's right, right? Yeah. Yes. Is dealing with some other boomer incidents. I'm never going to be able to say that when he's <laughs> Yeah, so M- Michelson is ch- is chasing some people, uh, some of these rogue boomers down. It turns out, as you, you, I mean, you kind of like expect this sort of thing. There's got to be some sort of way of them phoning home, so to speak, uh, so they have something to chase down the lead. So there's a mysterious person. <laughs> Does that that doesn't really get resolved in this episode? No. Is that supposed to be the puppet master in episode two? I th- I suspect so. Um, I like it. it f- I feel like it's one of those things that they're going for something. You can you can tell by how confused we are what actually happened in the episodes we just watched that this was not a very well told story. There's good ways to be confusing. I would say Chiaki Chikanak has written plenty of good confusing shows, but this is not one of them. And we have a third sort of storyline going on with um, a radio personality called Chiaki mm. and her boomer stalker. Assistant slash stalker Kane, who proposes to her, and when your stalker proposes to you, of course you accept. Our, our subtitles were very funny because it said uh, it said something like, um, "Rico, please marry," <laughs> and it was just that question yeah. mark. <laughs> he seems to be quite confused about whether he's bootmer or human. And um, she she runs away from him. He follows her home. We got a kind of tracking down scene with Buzz and Kimball. I don't exactly remember how they picked up on the whole situation, but eventually they arrive. Kame actually manages to disable Kimball. He knocks him down, breaks his arm, punches his gun away. Uh, but um, Buzz seems to have a problem with gun that gets explored further in episode two and three. So Chieko picks up the gun and just starts blasting away, killing Kane. Yeah, it's supposed to be one of those like endearing character quirks that like 
I don't really like guns, but in this case, it just came off as sloppy and unprofessional. <laughs> yes, yes. Mm-hmm. Um, on the side note, Michelson is, she seems to be tracking down also drug users who seem to be somehow doing the robot sex from the robot drugs from Futurama. Well, they're trying to live the experiences of uh, boomers going crazy, right? That's mm-hmm. why I took from that. Yeah, um, this was kind of, I was kind of saving this for the end so we could just because this is like the most oh, cyberpunk sorry. thing that sorry. happens in the episode. Like they're all sitting around like half naked in under normal circumstances, it would be an orgy, but they've all just got like VR headsets on and they seem to be taking control of like various other like helicopters and stuff and they're getting a rush off on it. And then just Michelson lands and like we get her licking her lips and then pumping some bullets into into the technology. Without killing any of them. Yeah. This is quite impressive. But she does seem weirdly aroused by it. Um... It was a very arousing scene. What are you talking about? (laughs) (laughs) What do we think of the conflict in this episode? I don't know. The whole stalker like uh, thing didn't really work for me. I don't think this was the episode to do three different plot threads. I think if they'd picked one of the three, either Michelson investigates like people living through boomers and causing them to go rogue, Kimball and Buzz hunting down drugs, Chiako and Kane doing the whole stalker uh, storyline. Either one of those individually would have worked better, I think. Than uh, I think it's. I think the only one I really actually have an issue with is the sort of Chieko storyline. Hmm. Uh, the other two just kind of go together as just like, quote-unquote, police business. Uh, so it's just, it's, just your, it's just your day in the life of elite unit branch <laughs> i guess they want they want to show that boomers are like they're complicated yeah aside, aside from the whole chico storyline basically being the like uh this came out after perfect blue right oh uh, no of course it did i was thinking of but i was thinking of yes. bubblegum crisis which came out before perfect blue for some reason uh like it's very much uh you see that you see that we can do perfect blue too it's like <laughs> no no you can't and chico even kind of looks like a meme the only thing we haven't mentioned yet is that Buzz also seems to own a boomer who is credited as his wife in episode one, interestingly. Oh yeah, and then we get the most interesting moment of the episode where he's yes. sitting at home playing the saxophone at the end and it just shows his uh, housewife boomer headless and still talking. And I guess it's implied that he ripped her head off. Yeah, so one of the things like you would notice just as like, the common theme throughout the conversations of like all these different plot lines is... The whole show is just about the relationship between um, these uh, androids who are just everywhere in society and they're close but not too close that people can't seem to tell that they're boomers for disc- for discrimination purposes. Yeah. Uh, and about how like different parts of society have related to the introduction of boomers into their life. I mean, it's really a classic, the other narrative onto which boomers can be a metaphor for whatever you like, be it African-Americans, people of color, um, women. It's, it's really all about the disenfranchisement between the establishment of the man and the other who is in somewhat very, very similar, but still different somehow, even if it's not visual, um, visible on the surface. Yeah, and I mean, it's also just like the, the one of the most basic cyberpunk plot, yeah. plot, plot points is yeah. what do when androids... <laughs> Uh, have sex with them which brings us neatly on uh to talk about the second episode mm. so this for the second episode uh we progress the timeline a year for no real reason other than to just cleanly separate them i guess 
and we've got a new series of boomer murders and this time they're all sex worker robot i mean uh like who is it that was demi when we're watching that was just like and it's the jack the ripper storyline that was me Uh, yeah yeah we have our focus prostitute to use an interest to use a weird turn of phrase eve Mm -hmm. who is like your high society very classy boomer courtesan yes uh, she also seems to be a somewhat experimental model of boomer, more advanced than others. Closer to humanity or whatever. Mm-hmm. But there's, she still she still has the same sort of blank look and a more stilted way of carrying themselves that all of the boomers do in this show. Which they do to differentiate them from humans, visually. We opened the episode on the sixth case of a boomer murder by the so-called... Uh, Hooker Boomer Crusher, which is not a great serial killer name. No. Uh, I, I rate that name 0 out of 10. <laughs> uh, alone. Mm-hmm. This, uh, there's sort of two threads that we take for uh, investigating this show, uh, this uh, serial crimes. We have uh, Buzz and Michelson go and actually meet the people who make these illegally customized robots to try and like i know pump them for information michelson also seems to have picked up a cat from out of nowhere oh no she, she they show her finding it it's oh yes the, they do right. yeah she like sees it on the street and then she just takes it with her so yeah the way this whole part of the like this episode is going to go is they're going to investigate through two sort of different threads mm-hmm. uh, and this is definitely a more undercover uh episode the first thread uh, Michaelson, uh, not Michaelson, uh, Buzz and Kimball get from uh, being up a pimp <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, to try and like gain information about where he is get, uh, getting his uh, robots because they're not supposed to be used for this purposes. So, like, in order to have them perform sex work, requires some uh, illegal modifications, and then they followed that rabbit hole to the company that sort of modifies these bots. Kimball doesn't go with Buzz. Buzz takes uh, Michelson. She's going to have she's going to have an interesting episode. <laughs> uh, yeah. to say the she's, least. The, she's the real protagonist of this episode because yes, they des- she decides to go undercover as a hooker as mostly just to spite Buzz because they don't think because well, there's another character in episode one that we haven't mentioned yet who is like Angel, who's the undercover specialist of the um of the group. And yeah. um, yeah. she's like not officially part of the organization, but she's like affiliated. She really doesn't do very much in these three <laughs> yes. episodes. So when 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 they tell Michelson that she's likely not going to be able to pass as a hooker, Michelson tells them, Well, I can do it. I'll prove you wrong. Yeah, not not a good look, <laughs> to be honest. Michelson is co- uh, simultaneously the most three-dimensional character in the show, and also the one that I've... Uh, simplistic, childish, <laughs> perhaps? Well, in this episode, but not really in the other two, which is the yeah. thing. Like, there's a weird inconsistency there. The thing is, um, so Michelson is like taken with Buzz to go and see these illegal modification people. And we get a sort of like an uncomfortable, like, lately framed scene. They're posing as buyers in that scene. Mm. And then there's just like, well, they're just, I mean, for him, this is just a job. He's like being very clinical about it. You're seeing like someone smudging the robo breast 
like discussing specifications and stuff and just and like this is part of like where they're like trying to get information and then afterwards um like reiko's just like like just like asks him is like are you sure it's okay to take me to this place and <laughs> then he's and then he's just like shrug and it's just like do you see me as a woman's like shrug it's like it's very it's very it's a very uh like male thing to do like that he is so sort of indifferent to just sort of this robo group fest uh yes on like a video display in the background and she's just like dude this isn't cool yeah um i guess we should give them a partial credit for at least calling this out considering the low bar for this sort of uh casual disregard for women's opinions yeah <laughs> about sexual matters in anime Fair yes enough, yeah. i mean this whole episode is doing this sort of um it's supposed to be like the we're we're showing the commodification of women's uh, sexuality and agency and bodies by showing them as uh, quote unquote soulless robots. But it is there are there are moments where it's like having the the like bayoneted problem of like feel like it's trying to have its cake and also eat it because it's still there are scenes that seem like they're supposed to be arousing, even the foot fetish scene. Um, <laughs> Bayonetta would be like a good modern example, but in the, in an anime context, I always have to go back to Shiro and Ghost in the Shell, uh, mm. the, the graphic uh, novel, not the the, an, yeah. the animated series, where he is definitely trying to have his cake and eat it too. <laughs> yeah, and then there's, there's a debate over whether the Oshi film uh, is or not, and I sort of come down on this uh, side of it not really being uh, supposed to be arousing, but whatever. Um, yeah, that's a debate for a different day. So Michelson goes undercover with the cat, uh, I'd like to mention. She yeah, she takes the cat with her the whole episode. Uh, she's essentially just standing on the street observing people until she sees Eve and she's like, she's like, oh my god, that woman is so attractive, I've got to follow her. Um, but also probably because it's her duty and she thinks that might be an ideal target for a serial murder of boomer uh, sex workers. So she follows Eve to a high-class restaurant, and that's where it's a bit uncomfortable because um, Eve kind of calls out to her, and what she's she talks about what it, what it is that sex workers do uh, in the we show them dreams or um, I forget what exactly it was, but it didn't quite feel like a good way to handle that topic. Yeah, um, yeah. I'm really I'm, uh, I know this is the summary portion, but I'm really not sure where this uh, falls on the like scale of giving sex, uh, treating uh, sex workers with empathy and giving them agency to being sympathetic but kind of gazy, if you will. I I feel like this falls very heavy on the gazy side because even uh, Michelson is drawn to her on that side, and we have the as in the the. Uh, foot fetish scene Ian's mentioned. We see her yes. naked at several points. I mean, nudity isn't sexual in and of itself. Yes. But but... It's not to, it doesn't have to be titillating in and of mm. itself, but there were certainly moments. It's trying more to get us to empathize with her on the grounds that she's a robot who's close to humans, so she's torn between two worlds. Yes. And that's causing a stress rather than if she she has she's a sex worker yeah. on that yeah. angle. Um, so at this point, we kind of need to mention um, the fact that Eve has been having recurring visions of this this young girl. Yes, uh, it's very again, it's very Satoshi Kon. That and like the ball bouncing scene, it, yeah. like man, I made way too many Exorcist jokes. <laughs> Red Riding Hood. Uh, 
Again, the like uh, the girl kind of looked like me, where it's weird. Um... And this is where the cat, who like who was with um, with uh, Reiko, like sort of snuck into the room with her while she is uh, servicing her client. Yes. Um, and then, and then we turn flip the Cronenberg switch. Uh, yes, and quite an effectively like scene. The like cat. This uh, strange ro- uh, worm sort of comes out of the cat, and you see the cat's skin all like uh, deflating and shrinking back as it comes out of it. It's, it's quite, it's quite, it's well done. So, surprise! The cat was the serial killer all along, I mean, or indeed the enormous uh, Lovecraftian robot creature living inside the cat was. Yes. Mm. So the cat basically becomes like a robot larva snake worm thing that fires lasers yes uh which i mean that's that's pretty cool in my book yeah i, I quite yeah. liked this uh, antagonist yeah yeah at, at that point eve also seemed uh she seems to be like the red girl that ian's mentioned seems to be been corrupting her so she's uh doing something to her clients it's not quite clear what but we see like cables coming out of her body and inserting themselves into her clients um... that's definitely not part of the service <laughs> yes <laughs> uh, and Mich- michaelson bursting it back in through the door is what causes the cat to transform in the first place and then they both start to run away as michaelson calls for backup yeah and then we have like cool chase scene as we as the laser worm uh into a uh more traditional robot design like very long-legged spidery looking thing with a yeah. a head that kind of reminded me of the robot from the judge the old judge dread movie but that's beside <laughs> the point yeah um, then she fights it for a bit uh there's the it's annoying because she's really uh she's shown to be very skilled but then they have the scene where it like hoists her up and it like lingers on the fact that her skirt's flooping about and it's like you know you don't need to do that it like detract it detracts from the fact that she's being cool yeah like our most cool scene is like just as she escapes because she's running down the fire escape and she like shoots it in strategic points and then it all just sort of accordions Mm. uh crushing the the robot we also see buzz and kimball uh driving towards the scene but arriving just too late <laughs> yes michelson's already dealt with it so she really didn't need the backup after yeah she like leaps onto it and stabs it in the face with a knife and there's like a long lingering shot of the bit where she's like got the knife in and then it falls off which was nice felt like there was more impact to its death yeah because there, there is a possibility there were supposed to be more episodes this was supposed to be a full series rather than mm-hmm. just a three episode of ea if there's supposed to be like a plot thread of Michelson being aroused, aroused when in danger, or if that's like she has a fetish for um... maybe. I th- I th- I, th- I think this is just this is just a common action trope. There's the uh, there, it's the high emotions, just like the lick of the knife. They're like yes. I don't think it's necessarily arousal. It's just. Mm-hmm. I mean, in episode one, it was definitely arousal the way it was portrayed. Yeah, I mean, it's the weird thing where we can't frame a woman being excited without having a. That's true. It seems like she's getting off on it. But the way the camera lingered on her mouth when she licked yes. it and it yeah. showed the blush on Eve, like, it was definitely what they were going for. And Eve is in, like, a, a an area that looks like it's had a bomb dropped on it. Um, <laughs> yes. This is the sort of final showdown territory. The knife fight at the bar, the, of the boss character. The boss gets stabbed <laughs> in the eye, more or less. And then we just have Eve just 
committing robo suicide mm. <laughs> as like the infection of the red girl like finally takes like its final root and she just falls off in a scene where it, it's it's uh, interestingly uh, done where she like jumps off and it looks like she's falling into like tar or something mm. but she's actually just falling <laughs> normally and I mean she's falling into darkness but it looks like she's falling into a liquid and then she breaks apart yeah, and then we get like this sort of like I think I really like the like final ant touch of this episode, where you've got the creepy little red girl just closing her eyes and then running yeah. away. But yeah, there's not really anything resolved that it's like the red. We we have no idea what the little red girl is. We can speculate mm. that it might be like a yeah. virus or a program, but we don't know. Right, uh, and, and it would have to be an, like an autonomous virus, mm. and it definitely seems to. Have, I think that like it had to have been related to the cat. I feel like the cat has been going around this whole time, and is probably the. Well, I mean, it definitely is the hooker boomer crusher. It's probably also related to the puppet master in this episode. Yes, there's... not at all a ghost in the shell XP. It's not at all something that gets brought up so often in cyberpunk. Yes. I like this one better than the first episode. I mean, it's definitely the strongest out of the three. Because it was, uh, despite my like problems with how it handled the sex worker and this, you know, being an episode, wanted to be about women's issues, but it is focused and the more like um, supernatural stuff in it was neat. I do think the, the robot looked much better as a weird worm than as a big spider, but whatever. And Michelson, while not consistent with her characterization in the other episodes, she did get to be cool. But again, it was kind of undercut by the like fan service, so I don't know. Yeah, no, it's still the best episode, but I, I have reservations about it. Yeah, it just makes like it's just it's just weird, kind of like the, like. What the hell was Buzz and Kimball doing? Uh, they didn't really do anything. They had one uh, nicely blocked scene in a uh, in the cafeteria, and that was about it. Like, I mean, it's one of those things, I guess, where this is probably true of a lot of detective shows, right? Is that there's the some people have to be going out doing the detective stuff while one person gets to be cool. Yes. Just this episode, it was it was Reiko's turn. I have to say, in terms of um, Jackie Jake and Eka, it's just because we're talking about the like themes of this episode. I would say, in general, in this show, he's a person who likes to explore big ideas in his shows. Uh, he does it through a sort of esoteric Lynchian way, which is uh, well, it's Ian and I like it at least. Yeah. But some of the idea, the themes he's exploring in this show are a bit more—they're kind of just standard cyberpunk stuff, mm. which is fine. But he didn't really. I expect more from the person who wrote uh, Lane and Textnoise, which are sort of two cyberpunk adjacent shows that are much more uh, mm-hmm. thematically consistent and sort of have, they're more unique, I guess. So like before we sort of talk about the third episode, I think it's like fair to say that we notice that there's uh, a big departure here. Um, yes. So apparently, I could not confirm this 100%. I found an article from somebody who used to run a Bubblegum Crisis fan site, and it seems, I mean, I definitely believe what he's what he said, because it seems to be true. So the first two episodes of this were made in 1998, 1999, when uh, one of the other Bubblegum Crisis shows was uh, still running high. But towards the end of that show, I think it was AD Police Department, maybe? AD just yeah. police was the show was called. So they had made the first two episodes, but then the money ran out and the project was shelved. However, around two, uh, 2001, 2002, the 
popularity of the bubblegum crisis films and stuff uh, had grown in the West, which gave the studio the idea to revisit this whole project. And they made a third episode. And the main reason I believe this to be true is one, the episode literally says five, uh, has a t- starts with a time jump to five years later, which covers nicely covers the gap between episode two and three production wise. Two, it has a completely different visual style. A whole bunch of the characters are redesigned and uh, there's a heavy use of CG that was absent in the first two episodes, plus a horrible sense of lighting that just ruins most of the episode. So yeah, this episode had a different... Uh, while I, I think for the most part, the staff was uh, mostly the same, at least in terms of the uh, on-the-ground people, as it were, the animators, although maybe not. I mean, it, it seems like it was quite a different uh, group of key animators, at least for each episode. But anyway, uh, the art director is different for episode three. Mm-hmm. And looking at this stuff, it's funny. I thought they might be uh, someone who likes to use sort of desaturated uh, styles. But the only other one I can find like that on the list is the 2019 Blade of the Immortal. And that's the director of that. All of his shows are desaturated. I just think it's an interesting thing because I don't know if it's something I've ever encountered before where they went back to a cancelled project, made an additional episode to a different visual style, and mm. then sold it as a three-part OVA. Because the story in part in episode three has nothing to do... Well, there's the characters that's still there. It has nothing yeah. to do with what happens in episode one and two. Although it's funny because Kanaka is credited as co-writing it, so I wonder what like his original uh, version looked like because it is quite a departure from the first two, even mm-hmm. the story. Um, so the third episode starts with what could only be called a murder fuck as we see the boss of uh, Branch talking to a politician. We also Chief saw Takahashi. Yes, uh, we see him talking to somebody called Sorime. He seems to be a politician, and the conversation is... I actually think it's the most interesting part of the episode because it is framed in a very dark shot with lots of intercuts, mm-hmm. uh, interesting angles, and a very dark scene of color. Like It really works there, but it doesn't work in the rest of the episode. But while they're talking about um, the situation, Sarime wants him to call off Buzz. Uh, Sarime is also having sex with a uh, boomer and decides to also shoot the boomer in the head while he's having sex with her. I mean, it establishes the character well, I guess, but it's still kind of it's it feels tacky and as as well like lit and directed as the scene is, um, his like dialogue feels very overwrought compared yeah, to the yeah. rest of the it's show. It's an abomination. Uh, why can people reign as the leaders of the universe because they can feel pain? The point is, he's a crazy cultist. He is the minister of justice, uh, Kenji Surame, and he is. A presidential candidate, uh, and he wants to, and he wants to destroy all the boomers. That's that's his platform. Destroy yeah. all boomers. Destroy all boomers. Didn't you used to run on that platform, Ian? No comment. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I think um, we all run on that platform in 2020. Yeah. So okay. So yeah, we uh, he, he kills the boomer, and then he takes he kind of rips the, the head off, bites it, and bathes himself in oil, blood. He also shoots one of his henchmen to prove the point of how dedicated they are to the total destruction of boomers. He's just a, he's a religious nutjob. He's a nutjob. 
As a result, presumably of this conversation, uh, well, at least we can assume this, Takahashi goes missing. And we see um, like a conversation with uh, some of the, the gang. Pretty much all of the gang, right? Angel, Reiko, um, Bill Myers. Angel's voiced by Kikiko Inoue. Cool. Uh, probably most famous t- uh, as uh, Bell Dandy and uh, Megan Isama. And um, other people. And then, like, we get the discussion about, like, the, well, why do they want this to do this? So they want it to happen really quickly. And I guess if you didn't realize this by now, this is the politics episode on your <laughs> cyberpunk checklist. And then, so they've got to, they've got to deal with the situation. We see them traveling into town uh, uh, on the car on the darkest highway and ex- uh, road in existence. Yeah, once, once, one side of the bridge, lightness. On the other side of the bridge, darkness. Yes. Uh, and helicopters, broom, got it, got, got to murder the people in this car. It's funny the way it's directed because, like, the way they like do the inside of the car scenes, there's very little like tension with those two. Like, the voice actors are trying their best, but they see the the like characters look really bored. But and then we just end the scene with them being blown up, with Michelson and Kimball being blown up and presumed dead. Like the, the this does not work as an action scene really in the lighting. It's weird because it's like seems like they're trying to go for a sharp contrast, especially with like the the bullets compared to how inexplicably black the road is, but it doesn't really, it doesn't work. Mm, Um, Anyway, so yeah, Buzz goes to, might be a police chief, I don't remember, um, to basically, basically extort information from him. Yeah. On, so they go up to, they're on like the top of a roof and they're talking to each other. It's kind of like an exposition dump, right, about Sorome and his plans. Like, there's some scenes of dominoes that don't make, like, immediate sense until they start talking about Kimball's thesis at the police academy on what they call something like the, the domino explosion theory. Uh, buzzes. Uh, uh, sorry, Buzz. Uh, his thesis on, like, the domino explosion theory. Well, the first bombs are going to trigger them going to, like, a backup generator, but, ah, we're going to rig the backup generators to cause explosions. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> um, this is the only uh, other scene with the lighting in our direction uh, works. Like, the blue light of the city in the background makes it... <laughs> Uh, makes this <laughs> exposition scene very moody, and uh, that's nice. And then when the bombs go off, you have like these cuts to the like red lights, and then everything going red. It's a nice contrast, right? It was certainly vis- it worked visually at least. It's too bad it was just two people talking about the plot to each other, which is incredibly <laughs> boring. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and this is where we like, like I say, it's it's the exposition dump, and we kind of get the. Um, Buzz is being set up to take the fall for this. Uh, in fact, the whole of the branch is. Mm-hmm. Um, and partly this is due to the fact that the plan, as I said, was done in Buzz's thesis. Or it's based on the thesis. Yeah, basically, you know, one of those sort of pie-in-the-sky plans that the anime has about, um, well, what if terrorists put way too much fluorine in the water? It's like, what would happen then? And they've got because they, they, they have to have a plan for everything. Uh, and this is going to work because uh, they, uh, Sorome thinks, uh, and we learn all, all all of this through like a video recording that's like him chatting. Oh, hang on. Before you before you get into this, I do want to say this: like uh, on the like the dominoes, then do do make sense because they get like shows Sorome like. 
uh, flicking all of them down while the stuff blows up. Um, and there's a very, there's a very, there's a uh, a neat shot of uh, him where it's all dark and you can just see his uh, very, very wide eye uh, looking at everything. And he's sort of singing, uh, I'm not sure what this song is. I know it's a natural song, but he's. Something about soldiers. Yeah, and then some kind of dodgy CG shoulders, soldiers, but whatever. Anyway. We also yeah. learned during this bit that uh, Myers and Angel are dead. Yes. That was incredibly memorable <laughs> characters <laughs> who did lots of stuff. So we have a video sort of confession that is playing in the background of uh, Sorry May basically like confessing that this is his plan to set up Buzz. While he's in his underwear. While he's in his underwear wanting to listen to King Port yeah, wanting to listen to King Pork Chop Time. I really don't understand why he kept the recording of his own thing, of his of him talking about his own plan, and then just playing it on TV. I I interpreted it as Takahashi recorded it, and uh, yes. uh, Buzz found that recording. I, that, that makes sense, but Sorume didn't seem to have any major reaction to it, because he just kept listening to it. I think it's just a weird, like visual thing that didn't yeah, quite make sense it didn't it didn't really work but like it, it was an idea that like was supposed to make sense in the way they like organized the thing but when you think about it for a second it doesn't i mean he's supposed to be overconfident but uh it so does kind of it does kind of look like because he like flexes a remote that he just turns his tv on and like has his plan playing in the background while he's on his uh, while he's in his underwear at home but whatever <laughs> Because, like, the explanation for that scene, actually, is that it's Buzz that's put on his TV, right? Because he's there. Yes. Confronting him. But it's not how it seems. But, no, it's it's not how it seems. Soromeo is like, bah, I'll shoot you, and Buzz is like, uh, because, but obviously, Buzz won't shoot back, because we've established it before. So his plan is to get shot. With my Glock made in Austria. And Soromeo's doing the annoying anime villain of having wide eyes and ranting. Uh, <laughs> he's crazy. Which is yeah. also where we learn that he doesn't actually care about boomers at all. All of this was just a ploy to get himself elected president obviously. by exploiting people's fear of the boomers. Yeah, and, obviously. Uh, removing the investigative police department for... Uh, like the special branch of the police department in the same... But it's okay uh, in the end that Buzz can't shoot him. Because Michelson is there and Still shoots alive. him with her with her awesome biceps. It's okay because Buzz also shoots uh, Sorome too. Just to just to why not at this point? It's the end of the OVA. Let's just call it character progression and move on. We need to send, we need to give our dead friends a song when they for, for when they go to heaven. So shoot this corpse five times, and that's the end. So yeah, I think we talked uh, very confusing. <laughs> Uh, so we've mostly covered like what we thought of what these ep- what happened in these episodes, what the sort of like the themes were going for. It's basically been like sort of like I said, it's been three very standard uh, cyberpunky episodes. We have the police episode, we have the sex worker episode, and we have the politics episode. None of the takes in this felt very fresh. I mean, they they shouldn't in twenty twenty, yeah. but they wouldn't have even seemed fresh to me in the same year that Ghost in the Shell standalone complex was coming out. <laughs> yes, like we're what ten years after Neuromancer at this point. Yeah. Uh, no, actually, we're, twi- we're we're by the time this comes out, it's twenty years after Neuromancer. So there's yes. like there's to be fair, just based on the first two episodes. I think if this hadn't run out of budget and had been a full 
show it could have been something because well the first episode was quite weak <laughs> we all agreed there were good things about the second episode yeah although i, I don't know neither of them were that um inspiring i think i think you could have done something good with it you could have developed something in, as a as a companion as a more mature companion piece to the more lighthearted bubblegum crisis yeah certainly Whatever we sort of think about this, the like, this certainly is hard to really treat this show with like the seriousness that you might want to, purely based on the visual whiplash between the first two episodes and the third episode. Yes, right. I'm gonna I'm gonna say, uh, Textilize, which I think I already mentioned, is a show that's uh, also got a very desaturated palette, but it really works there. Firstly, because the art, uh, the director, and the art directors know what they're doing, um, and secondly, because that whole show is about, um, well, I mean, it's about humanity struggling futilely against the uh, the extinction of their race, um, and how everything's really everything's dying. So it, it it really works for how dreary the show is, but it just feels it feels a bit weird here. Yeah, and 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 when it's not like completely desaturated, the lighting and not completely dark like in the highway scene, it's completely overlit. Like it's unnecessarily yeah. bright in every single other scene. Yeah, so much lighting issues. <laughs> mm-hmm. And the first, the first uh, two episodes actually had some really decent lighting. It it used the it was classical cyber. Yeah, it used the classical blue cyberpunk city. Like we see the neon lights, uh, the, the warm orange of the neon lights of the more cold blue buildings and the high rises and the protagonists walking through the rainy streets. It's nothing spectacular, but it's good. Yeah, it, it was solid cyberpunk uh, atmosphere. It's also like a good like, but on the one other hand, this is like a good um, like case study about like these, the different ways people do two D shows versus three D shows. Um, you like if you look at the the sort of camera work in the first and second one, mm. um, we're getting a lot of the the stuff that we really liked in Ghost Town or the or that we really like in Lane and stuff like that. Mm. Where careful selection of where the camera is placed because they're not going to be moving it. Lots of bold choices. I'm not necessarily always going to say good, but bold choices about <laughs> yes. when they just like place like the motorbike in the foreground for the <laughs> four seconds or whatever. Even when I didn't like it, some of a lot of it felt very deliberate. Whereas when you move to a sort of a a 3d you can do a lot more with your camera like you can do a lot more tracking shot we definitely notice this in the way the vehicles are treated because we have the hand-drawn cars versus the cg cars and yeah yes cg cars look better i'm willing to admit that that was even true like 20 years ago Uh, not uh, like 15 years ago i would say like because of the time period we're looking at well like when it was released 2003 so like when it was made probably 2002 we were going through like a transition in like the anime world between uh, a lot of the more traditional like digital painting style to moving to a greater emphasis on cg elements Mm -hmm. that i mean we've only really kind of nailed it within like the past five years right (laughs) and even then it's still iffy at points definitely more uh hoseki no kuni than uh Mm. (laughs) i mean are you talking about holy cg shows or like stuff that's mixed uh well stuff that's mixed as well like because I was going to say again, standalone complex was around this time, and the CG <laughs> the CG there is pretty well integrated. 
Like, yes, it's yes, it's quote unquote lower frame rate or whatever, but it it still looks like it fits in there and it's not shot in a boxes way. It's not that we couldn't do it. Like th- that that's a good example, and like we'd already like seen this, particularly in features. Yeah. Um, but like that doesn't that means that we've got some people in the industry who really know what they're doing and it hasn't filtered out yeah. through the entire industry and it's not going to and it's going to take a while for us to get there so you kind of want to give them like some of the benefit of the doubt you don't want to go lol bad cg because yeah 2002 <laughs> we're seeing the le- we're seeing the like learning curve when it's just like for cost reasons primarily like we're going to have to move to this sort of way of making uh, shows yeah just get used to it and then figure it out as you go and clearly the the th- the tricks that they have in 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 the primarily 2D aren't working and they're trying to figure it out and rejigger it and it didn't work but we needed to, we needed these things not to work so that it would work now yeah. uh yeah though it still doesn't work now a lot of the time but then a lot of stuff doesn't work a lot of the time so there you go uh but like the so but a lot of the problems with these early shows isn't necessarily it's it's not just not knowing what to do it's the oh we can do this now Let, let's 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 do a bunch of shit. I mean that I mean this whole thing didn't really go anywhere. Basically, early CG wasn't good, but <laughs> some people used it better than others. Yeah, and it kind of ruined the this the show. I, mean, I wouldn't. I wouldn't. I wouldn't say it was the only thing that like brought the third episode down. There were plenty of. In yes, fact, yeah. mo- most aspects of the third episode were a bit uh, were lacking. <laughs> it, it, it. I mean, it didn't. But uh, I did mention like I, I did mention the things we liked about Ghost Town and stuff. Right? Yeah, actually, the third episode might have made for a good overarching story. Like the whole. The main villain of the season Maybe. is the politician who is anti-boomer. That was that's one thing I was gonna say. The boomers were like barely present in the third episode. Yeah, yeah. And and then we have we have a whole season to build up this normal people versus uh who hate boomers. And then with the bombing is like on the on episode seven or eight, yeah. then we have an episode of Buzz on the Run. Then eventually he figures out what's going on, he confronts the politician, and we end on similar notes as we do now. Yeah, it's one of those things where, um, uh, generally speaking, like one of the differences, like you, I, like I don't know who said this first, but like I've definitely quoted this to you guys before. Is like one of the ideas is that like some people say, well, fantasy is more psychological than like so- sci-fi is more sociological, right? In terms of the the things you try to explore. But like the thing is, even when you're going stepping up to this like society level, you're you're generally still supposed to explore it through individual people. Sometimes when people are saying, yeah, but we've got politics in the show, they're kind of just, they're kind of being lazy and just saying it's, well, because the politics is about the boomers, it still counts. And it's just like, well, no, because... It's the thing of, like, uh, politics as in elections and uh, policies versus politics in yeah. terms of, like, general worldview of the show. Because all, all things are political. Um because like what is it about this society right that we have at the, they're at that makes you think that they're at the stage where they're one able to and willing to get rid of the boomer integration in this society and that that's what would lead you to elect this kind of politician like sorry mate that's not clear that that's a thing that would happen based on the first two episodes yes there's friction mm. uh just purely because 
there wouldn't be a show otherwise. <laughs> um, but it was very much a more like it, <laughs> everything is complicated, right? Because they're integrated into your police force. You have different reactions to different ones. Like there's the girls on the street versus Eve. Uh, and Eve gets like hat tipped from the bellboys and stuff, whereas the people on the street don't even get in the building. Mm-hmm. Um, like it's not it's not like we they we invented androids, uh, and then we're like that's cool. Let's just be dicks to them and not do anything <laughs> else, and then get rid of them again. It's it's not clear what the tipping point in society that would lead you to be like yeah. On a side note, Sorimin's plan of bombing most of the city and then using that. Uh, to get himself elected, he frames the crime on a human police detective. Mm-hmm. So how is that eventually supposed? How is that supposed to stoke the fear of the boomers? Mm. Did he? What did he say in the episode to uh, Buzz? I don't really remember, but I don't think he directly linked the crime in any way to the boomers. He just kind of maybe assumed it would. Right, because the whole thing is about exploiting the city's emergency power system to trigger a chain reaction. You don't really need boomer involvement for that. Nope. Like, sure, you're killing thousands of people, and that might impact the production, but that's not the same as get rid of it. It's it's just a bad plan. Think too hard. Don't, don't think yeah. too hard. <laughs> but I think it's just your generic, like, Reichstag fire uh, theory of political revolution. Mm. We've talked a little bit about like shot composition. We've talked a little bit about like color choices and themes and stuff, but I don't think we've talked about the sound at all. Was there anything that really sort of stuck out for you about the the way sound was used in this show? Not really, I'll be honest. Uh, there were there were one or two moments where I noticed the music sounded kind of out of place. It was a bit too lighthearted for the serious escape scene. Uh, even Michelson were trying to have. Well, I, I I wouldn't say lighthearted. It was just kind of. It just uh, ill-fitted. It just ill-fitted. I I, th- I think it would have worked in a more light-hearted chase sequence. It it, it was because it was like a very electronically themed uh, like uh, music selection, but it was not very like fast. This wasn't EDM we were listening mm-hmm. to. It was it was quite slow. Like I actually kind of enjoyed it a little bit better when I was just z- zooming through it later, just on like one point five times speed, and be like, yeah, this kind of has a bit of a beat to it. It um, the music works in some of the in the slower scenes, but uh, the the pieces they use for the action scenes, uh, yeah, they didn't work. It was okay. <laughs> yeah, sometimes they got the mix wrong uh, on audio versus uh, yes people talking. Actually, that's true. The audio did sound very faint a lot of the time. I definitely noticed this in the third episode at the beginning. The third episode is funny because it feels like they recorded. It feels like they recorded the uh, dialogue around the same time as the first two. Yeah, because the dialogue quality is about the same as them, despite it being made later, possibly. Yeah, it, th- that's interesting. Like maybe it was because, like, because like, if the production was already started, then maybe it was like storyboarded and recorded at that point, and then they maybe. just sort of mm-hmm. read the But then that would suggest that uh, Kanaka never had much involvement in episode three. So yeah, I think it might just be they didn't have very good. They still had the same microphones or whatever. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, and I think the, the one that really stood out for you was like in the first episode, Denny, with um, Chieko's radio show, where yes. it was kind of like an ASMR stream. Yeah. Uh, 
I think if that's sort of everything we want to cover, it's yeah. uh, we just need to give our verdict on this show. So I, th- I think we know what the, the criteria needs to be. <laughs> Obviously. Danny, how many boomers out of five do you give this show? If it was solely based on the first two episodes, I'd probably give it a 2.5. But with that third episode, I think I'll stick around a two. Because the first and second episode had stuff where I could see some potential. It was fairly standard cyberpunk, as we've already talked about, but it was fairly decent cyberpunk on the standard level. So if they'd built that up for a show, or as I've said, taken the concept of the third episode and made that the entire show, there might have been some potential there. But otherwise, it's not something I ever need to see again or will think about tomorrow. So I think I'm going to just give it a 2.5. How about you, Freya? Yeah, you kind of said my opinion. I'm normally the one who tries to not talk about expectations, but I was a little disappointed that uh, Kanaka didn't go harder on his uh, Kanakaisms um, mm. and his uh, his big ideas. Even though I think I talked in the past how he's like kind of he does it. <laughs> He definitely doesn't always make the best shows, but they, they're usually interesting, and this is the one that didn't really match that criteria. And the third episode was uh, pretty bad. Uh, so I'll give it a, a two. This is, this is, tr- this is yeah, I, I think this is a tricky one, actually. Um, because I really feel like we need to give it two scores, because I think oh, we've said this, we kind of need to give it two scores. We need to give it a score for the first two, and we yes. need to give it a score for the third yeah. one. And for the third one, I'd be happy kind of just throwing it down to like even like a one and a half. Yeah. Mm, mm. But I actually quite like the second episode. Like I, I if I only watched the first two shows, I might have said it was a it was a three. It was kind of just okay. Mm. Yeah. So then the question is, <laughs> do I take the average? Three, three, one and a half. <laughs> or I guess two and a or I guess two and a half, three, one and a half. <laughs> yes. That's seven. Uh, which is seven. Seven divided by three is two and a two third. Point. Nah. So closer so to I, two. Closer to two than two and a half. It is closer to two than two and a half. Uh, just make it a two and we all give it a three a two. I'm I'm gonna give it a two and a half just to be awkward. Um, and so with our verdict rendered and on a full OVA for a change rather than uh, just that's the first three episodes the first few episodes of a show we can conclusively say you shouldn't watch this show but check out uh, check out Serial Experiment Slain and Textalize and Ghost Hound and other Chiaki Jekanaka shows is there any trivia and I actually do uh, want to offer one trivia yes. uh, which is the only one of the voice actors was in both Bubblegum Crisis and this mm-hmm. and that was Toshio Furukawa who played Bill Myers in this and Leon McNichol in Bubblegum Crisis Okay. the other two pieces of trivia I've got is not necessarily about the anime but the studio who made this show also made the cell animation for Hideo Kojima's Police Notes and uh, just the tagline of this show which Ian can confirm is on his DVD copy <clears throat> what are little girls made of in Genome City the answer might surprise you which is a tagline <laughs> It's just, there was, I guess they were talking about the red girl in episode two. 
I've uh, I mean it's probably like an infantilizing talking about all the girls in episode yeah two. that's all what it feels like two. next week um we'll be watching I think the most recent thing uh on our list of anime so far we'll be watching Run with the Wind okay a show from 2018 about running marathons <laughs> 